From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-soda where we dig into the things that we've been watching and maybe playing recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. Um, and this week, I forgot everything I watched until Terry reminded me right before we recorded. Uh, this week, we are talking about Minnesota, don't you know? Uh, weird Vibes, the movie. Old school blockbuster filmmaking at its finest. Chilling, literally, horror television. Hate watching a scandalous true crime series. Wholesome and melancholy. Melon, Jesus, melancholy anime, and bad vibes. The found footage film. Uh, so many vibes. A Lots lot of vibes, vibes today. Uh, Lots the of vibes. Definite, definite vibe episode. Yeah. Before we talk about everything, I was just going to bring up before I am replaying Crash Bandicoot. All three of them. Ah. <laughs> I have tweeted. I have tweeted very niche tweets about levels of Crash Bandicoot that are really difficult. Um. We bought the remaster a while ago, and the McElroys are playing uh, Crash Bandicoot 2. And I was like, holy shit, I love these games. So I've just been replaying them, and that's been my decompression now. I have been looking at way too much depressing social media content, and my brain is on fire. So this has been the way for me to not have my brain on fire as much. And it's on fire, but like in a different way. And I like, I'm a gamer and you definitely, I definitely press the X button. How dare you not register my jump kind of. Uh. <laughs> Your tweet about the, the, I forget what level it was, but the, the hard level in, in Crash Bandicoot yep. reminded me of like my old school playing games of Battletoads where. Oh, hell Yeah. Where there's like a level where you're on like a bike and you have to like dodge everything. And as a kid, I could never get past that level. That is still, I think, one of the hardest levels of video games. But you got me thinking about all these old games that I played as a kid that were like impossible and frustrating. Like, and I, I guarantee you it's like an homage to Battletoads because it's a bike level where you're like on a bike and it's like fucking impossible to win because you have to get first place. Oh, uh, yeah. My husband had to help me because I'm bad. I couldn't do it. And I was getting upset. 
And he is a little bit better at video games than I am. And he also is very, he's become invested in this with me and likes to watch me play. It's very Aww. fun because I'm usually the one watching him play. Yeah. So, yes. Anyway. That's a cute bonding experience. Crash Bandicoot because like I'm just having fun playing Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> That's how I bonded with my stepdad when I first moved in with him. Me, Aww. him, and my little brother, my stepbrother would, uh, and my mom would play PlayStation 1 Crash Bandicoot. Aww. We would all take turns. I love that. That weird little fucker really has a big space in my heart. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Anyway, just a fun little anecdote I wanted to share. Yeah. Yeah. Wholesome that. things. Yeah. Uh, I also love Minnesota, don't you know? So I, I traveled this week and I like to download things to watch on the plane. And I'd been hearing a lot of good stuff about this new season of Fargo. So I downloaded everything that was available to watch. And um, I'm not all the way through it yet. So don't reach out to me with spoilers yet. Because I think I'm on like episode five or six of, of this new season. But boy, is this season good. It is so good. And it makes me really excited because it's, you know, it was, it was created by Noah Haley. And... Or ho- is it Holly? Or is it Holly. Holly? Holly, I think. So it's great by Noah Holly, and you know he has the Alien series that they're working on that's coming out. Oh, and he did Legion. He did Legion, yes. Oh, so like, he's, okay. I had seen like the first, I think maybe one or two seasons of Fargo, and then I kind of fell off. Uh, so like this was a good re-entry point for me. Um, because they're each self-contained seasons, you don't have to know anything about the previous ones to watch it. Um, they just sort of have a, a similar vibe to them, but watching this made me, cause there's a couple episodes on here that lean hard, harder into horror than I was expecting. And it made me so excited for alien, just like revisiting, like how good of a writer I think Holly is. I think he's a very phenomenal writer who is not afraid to get a little weird. Uh, so like this season of, of Fargo starts out with this, um, this little Minnesotan family uh, with the main act, the main actress slash the mom being um, Juno Temple, I think. is. Oh, hell yeah. And she is phenomenal. She's like this little mousy kind of mom who's like taking care of. She loves her little daughter. She's married to sort of a milquetoast um, man who's comes from a very rich family, played uh, his mom is played by the incredible Jennifer Jason Lee. And she, Jennifer Jason Lee, like runs this like billion dollar empire. And her son is sort of a milk toast car salesman. And Juno Temple's character, Dot, is like on this one day when she's at home, she's sort of a stay at home mom. Um, two men in ski masks break in and attempt to kidnap her. And she goes militant on them with, like, um, an arrow spray can and, like, a match to burn one's face. She's, like, beating the shit out of them. They manage to kidnap her. She gets taken to, um, they're driving away and they stop at, they have, they're, they're pulled over by a cop. And then she, like, goes all ninja on them and, like, kicks the shit out of them and keeps running to a gas station. And it turns into this big whole thing. And she ends up escaping and getting back home while her husband has alerted the police. The police have come and she comes back. And she's like, oh, I just had a bad day. She's like, it wasn't anything. So she's lying about being kidnapped. 
and you start to slowly piece together that um, in the first like two episodes, so this isn't really a spoiler, that her ex-husband that she had 10 years prior, played by John Hamm, who is like, I think he's modeled off of like that, that one Arizona sheriff that like was very controversial. The one that was like, do you know who I'm talking about? I can't remember his name. Yes. Oh my God. What was his name? Oh, it's on the tip of my fucking tongue. Yeah. So he's like this guy. So John Hamm plays like this, this sheriff named Roy Tillman, who um, is a quote unquote constitutionalist um, sheriff. He's also very religious. He believes that a woman belongs to a man. He uh, is a libertarian. So these are all like red flag checks, right? And he wants his wife back. His wife in quotation marks because she is no longer his wife. But and so he has sent these people. His son slash her former her son is played by Joe Keery from Stranger Things who is like a scary sheriff, a police officer who's kind of adult as well. And so it's just like this. We have like a lot. We have like her husband's rich family that um, are, that don't like dot Juno Temple's character dot. And so we have that, we have her trying to fight off like her ex-husband. We have the cops being involved, the local police being involved. And it's just like this, great Fargo-esque story that I'm just so thrilling. There's a lot of home, inv- there's two se- sequences of home invasion, one set on Halloween night where the invaders um, are wearing like uh nightmare before Christmas masks. And it's just so that it like, it pushes into the horror envelope a lot more than I think any of the previous Fargos have. And it is damn good. And I cannot wait to see where it's going to go from here. Joe Arpaio. Joe Arpaio. Yes. I yes. texted Steve and I was like, who is the man who did all the bad things at the border? And he says, Joe Arpaio. And I'm like, I, I'm actually quite impressed that you I got too. that. Thanks, Steve. And he said, Sheriff, Sheriff in Maricopa, Maricopa County, Arizona. Steve Bartled, everybody. King. <laughs> but yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so he feels, he feels a little bit modeled off of that kind of, that kind okay. of book of sheriffs. Okay. But it is. I've seen really memes of him. Yeah, he has fucking nipple rings. Okay, so every... This is the thing that I need to do. I need to watch the show because every season, everyone is like, this is the best season yet. You know what I mean? I feel like every season is really good. And this, I like this because you've seen the movie Fargo, right? Mm -hmm. It's a good... I love the inversion of his perspective of having his wife kidnapped she is from the perspective of the woman getting kidnapped and then yeah. extending that story. I love that so much because, you know, we always see the, the shitty guy, like, trying to figure it out. But the like the woman who gets kidnapped, ugh. And one of the... I just love it. Same. It's so good. And Juno Temple is so fucking good in this. I'm so glad she's getting her flowers, by the way. Like, I've loved her for a while. But yeah, then, like, same. she was in Ted Lasso and now she's doing that. I'm like, yes, Juno Temple. Everybody she's loves so puppies. Good. But it also has um, Risha Morjani, who was in Never okay. Never Have I Ever, which was the uh, show, the TV, the, it's a Netflix uh, comedy show uh, by Mindy Kaling. So she was in that. Oh, and she yeah. Was, she was really good in that. And she plays like a, a local police officer here who's like investigating what's happening. And she's like severely in debt. Her husband is Lucas Gage who is, you know, familiar to the horror realm as well. And so there's, like, there's a lot of, like, it's, it's just, it's so good. I highly recommend it. 
It's on Hulu. All right. Yeah, so let's keep the TV train running because I was actually thinking about this. So I'm, I'm <laughs> mine's linking. Let's talk about chilling, literally horror TV. Let's keep that vibe. Well, and, I, and also anthology TV with standalone yes. seasons. Perfect. So coming out this Sunday uh, on on Max slash HBO Max is the new season of True Detective. Mm. Uh, so it's True Detective season four and True Detective Night Country. Directed by Isa Lopez of Tigers Are Not Afraid fame. Love her. And dear listeners, I am so excited to report that it absolutely fucks. It is the best season of True Detective. It fucking rules. Isa Lopez made something incredibly poignant and also really scary and nasty. And it's matriarchal. And it's about indigenous people. And it's got really shitty women in it. And it's really good. Um, but let me back up a little bit here. So <laughs> this this season um, takes place in NS Alaska. Uh, think like Barrow, Alaska, 30 Days of Night. Like they have long periods of darkness in the winter. And the cold open of the season is essentially something happening to a group of researchers who are living in an Arctic research base outside of town. Yes, you are getting the thing vibes. I was just going to say. Obviously very much plays into that, but it is not like the thing at all. Yeah. Um, it's, but again, like, and I, when, in like an interview I was able, I was lucky to do with her. She was like, yeah, like you can't not think of the thing. So might as well like have some homages to it while also doing something different. Cause like you can't run away from that. Right. So she leans into it in some really cool ways, which I will not spoil, but let me just tell you, there is some fucked up imagery in this that is incredible. Um, I'm so excited. But, um, so police chief Danvers, played by Jodie Foster, is on the case. And she is trying to figure out, like, where do these guys go? And her ex-partner, Detective Evangeline Navarro, played by Kaylee Reese, who is newcomer. She was in Catch the Fair One, but she's all she started as a championship boxer. She's a fucking badass but she's amazing in this so and she's an indigenous woman so there's an indigenous woman playing an indigenous cop which is amazing and so she's interested in this case because it she believes there is a link to the murder of an indigenous woman named annie um a few years ago who was discovered stabbed multiple times with her tongue cut out and she had been recently protesting the pipeline construction that was causing pollution that was like getting people sick mostly indigenous people that were native to the area and she was protesting and she turned up dead they never found out why the case closed uh jodie foster's character moved on but navarro never let go of it because she's another woman missing that she can't find and so they basically end up teaming up even though they kind of still hate each other and try and figure out what happened to these men and what is going on in their town. You know, pretty basic in that kind of idea. But what's really amazing about this is this is a this is a, a show that is tackling issues of indigenous people head on, especially awesome from Isa Lopez, who is a Mexican woman who has made a lot of stuff. A lot of her movies, like Tigers Are Not Afraid, are modeled right. off of social justice, speaking up for colonized people, speaking up for people who don't have a voice. And so while she herself is an indigenous, she has an, a, tons of indigenous actors in this. Um, Isabel LeBlanc, who was in Pet Cemetery Bloodlines as Manny's sister, is oh, also okay. in this. Yeah. And so there are, it's really good casting and a lot of talking about indigenous identity and losing 
like what it means to not be allowed, allowed access to your culture versus like denying yourself access to your culture. And there's a lot of really cool stuff going on there. And then layered underneath all of this is this like, what the fuck is going on in NS Alaska? Like, is it spooky? Is it what? And what I love about this is that like Isa Lopez is never gives you a straight answer, but never tries to make it like, haha, it was all in everyone's head. Like there's a lot of like really more explicit playing with the supernatural in this one, which I love. Me too. Cause I think that was like for horror fans, one of the, the kind of disappointing ways that the first season ended was like, it seemed like it was moving into more cosmic horror territory. And then it sort of deflated towards the end, which I still liked it, but as a horror fan, wanting like getting that tease of supernatural hearing this kind of makes me excited too yeah in my review i literally write like it's not just whispers of the king in yellow and carcosa these are actually specters on the ice like it's horror from the first scene moving forward it's just so incredible the way that it is about identity and your place in the world and also tries to reckon with cops being a cop and being an indigenous cop and also having these two incredibly complicated women who like aren't nurturing aren't kind are kind of rough around the edges are broken and letting them be really broken in really interesting ways and focusing on female stories in this one like very very like femme woman focused like there obviously are male characters but this is about women's experiences and how women interact with the world and what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a white woman versus an indigenous woman and all that stuff. And I just think there's so much, it's so smart. I fucking loved it. It's also got really nasty shit in it too. It's like the the perfect. Yeah, exactly. It's perfect wintertime viewing. Of course, like it's all fucking freezing cold. I typically like, I don't usually watch every single episode of a show when I'm doing a junket. I'll watch most of them. I watched the entire season in like two oh, days. Shit. I was lucky enough to get access. I was access. I watched the whole thing. I got, I was really lucky enough to get access to the entire season. Yeah. It's fucking good. Yeah. Oh. I'm so stoked. I'm so stoked. And the reviews are really good. And I, Isa Lopez, everyone we've been telling you, yep. and I'm so excited that she got this opportunity. Cause I do think it's going to reach even more people. And I'm really glad that HBO gave her this chance because I think that it's probably, like, the smartest decision they could have made. I mean, she seems prime for, like, this. Like, this seems, like, right up her alley with, like, Tigers Are Not Afraid. Like, this is... She, like, she wrote and directed every episode. She oh, had a writer's man. room. She had yeah. she had some people write other episodes, but she directed every single episode. She wrote most of the season. She's had this idea forever, like, a similar idea, and then they brought her in. She's like, I got it. And, yeah, it's just, like... Good for her. So good. That's so awesome. I'm so excited yeah. to watch it. Yeah, it's fucking good. I'm so stoked how good it is. I was worried. I was worried. I was well, like... Yeah. You know, but then I was like, there's no way. And I was like... Ugh. And the ending is so good, too. It's just, like, very satisfying all around. So, yes, that starts on Sunday, 9 p.m. on Max. Please Can't watch wait. it, everybody. I'm going to. This is going to be event programming for me. Oh, it's premiering it, on my birthday. Honestly, though. <laughs> How cool. Hell yeah. Oh my god, I totally brain fart about your foot, what day it was and how close your birthday was. Uh, me too. <laughs> I realized that today. I was like, oh shit. But yeah, and I, I do have a feeling, 
and I hope I'm not wrong, but I think I will be right that, like, this will be, I think, like, water cooler type conversation programming. I'm really hoping people watch it. The reviews and everything has been so positive. Like, I have been, like, yelling about it on Twitter. And, like, it's scary. Like, I keep talking about it being, like, political, and I, and I, I love that. But, like, it is scary. Like, there's real good scares. So, please watch it. I'm like, I just want this to do well. <laughs> Ooh, and we're going to move even more. I love it. Oh, look at that. Look, <laughs> love the adaptation because we're talking more about true crime. Hate watching a scandalous true crime series. I, which one? <laughs> so, There's so many. I love them all. They're all terrible. <laughs> everyone has been talking about this on Twitter. And so I finally last week and my roommate watched watched it. And so I last week I sat down and started watching The Curious Case of Natalia Grace. Oh, okay. Okay, okay, okay. Which is about, let's see if this sounds familiar at all. A family, a rich white family, um, adopts a young girl from the Ukraine who is six years old. And they start to believe that she is actually an adult who uh, is masquerading as a six-year-old. That is like the basic initial premise and that one before right but this 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 six-year-old ukrainian orphan has a rare uh, bone growth disorder she is um she's a little person she has like she has a a severe disability in her legs i can't remember what it's called but there's like something that, that causes her she has to have like specially made boots that cost thousands of dollars so she can walk okay. without hurting herself she oh, has God. to she had to use like crutches and she she just a lot of things that were that were like physically wrong with with her bones on top of being um you know a little person and so she gets brought over to the to the US um immediately her parents start to tell everyone that they don't think that she's actually 6 years old they're saying that she has pubic hair they're saying that she is like she's okay. smarter smarter than a six-year-old and all this is, is is going on they have interviews with like the neighbors who are like yeah they're telling me all this stuff that she's doing all of a sudden she starts threatening the family they're saying that she is like hoarding knives that she tried to poison her mom that she is standing at the edge of the bed holding a knife this all sounds very familiar <laughs> and it happened to this all happened after the movie the orphan comes out it turns out early on in the in the season that these parents might be lying and they, re- Oh, they also re-aged her. They go to the courts and actually re-aged her to be 22 years old. And then they drop her into a small town in Indiana by herself. And they move to Canada as a six year old, but they say that she's 22. And so it is a very sad story about a very rich white family that is probably doing horrible things to this kid. And the first season is about that aspect of it and sort of picking apart their stories because the family's saying one thing, the evidence is kind of pointing to another thing. When she is dropped off in this small town, she it ends up becoming um, a police matter because the, the, uh, the adult education center that, that she was going to as a six-year-old, thinking everyone's saying that she's 22, um, get involved and they call the police and it turns into this big whole thing. And so the first season Jesus is about this. 
Christ. And the more and more the story goes on, the more wild. And I have a, a icky feeling talking about something that happened in real life being twisty and wild because it doesn't, it's not, it's real people. And I think that yeah. is why I, I was watching the first season. There's two seasons out because the second season is called Natalia Speaks. And it's, yeah, we it's finally, her perspective, right? Yeah. So we finally get to see her perspective and okay. hear, hear her side of the story after seeing all the evidence in the first season. And it's very, it's very interesting. It's very, I, I think the story, I, the story, I think what happened is very important, but I was sitting here going, why does this show make me feel icky? And it was in the middle of the second season that it sort of clicked with me. It is filmed like it's a reality TV show, like, uh, Oh. A, like a real housewives like there's there's dramatic music there's like reenactments yes there's like there's reenactments that happen there's like the there's like a big the big centerpiece of season two is is natalia a conversation with natalia and her um, adopted her first adopted father that is like it's staged so grossly where they have it all set up and her current like there's, there's a whole convoluted story, but her current family that she's trying to get adopted to is very religious, and her father standing outside with her with an earshot of her adopted father calling him and just like praying to God and Jesus, and it's it's like obviously he is right there while the other person's right there, and it just it feels so staged and it feels so so gross because it does feel a little bit manipulative and a little bit like in the way that we watch trash TV, but this isn't trash TV. This is a serious fucking case about a six-year-old potentially that was abused, dropped in a city in an apartment on a second floor apartment where she's disabled. She cannot get up the stairs very easily. She's a six-year-old who doesn't have money. Her power gets like, it's just like, it's an incredibly sad story. It's incredibly sad that this happened to this person and we're kind of making a spectacle out of it in a way that we would real housewives or something. And it, so I, and it clicked in that and it just makes me like, I, I wanted to watch it because I wanted to know more about Natalia and this and yeah. what's going on, but I felt gross watching it. So that's why I say hate watching it because I, I wanted to know what was going on with, with Natalia and see what, what it, see if her life is improving at all since leaving that horrible family. And it just, it just it made me feel gross while I'm watching it. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I've seen similar sentiments online of like, what? Like, this is a kid who was literally abused by their family. Yeah. Like, ooh, this is not funny. Like, this isn't like a fun thing to watch. And she's been, and I mean, I think people are happy that they have her perspective. But like, I also remember when it, the first season was airing, everyone was like, wait, her parents are just like shitty or like yeah. just terrible people. So it's just like that sick thing of like it reminds me of like TLC. It's like oh you're gonna put you're gonna kind of take advantage of these people for ratings a little mm-hmm. bit, and it's weird. It's just like a very well, that's why I stopped watching Ninety Day Fiance. <laughs> <laughs> They're not even remotely the same. I am not no, saying they are the same they, at all. It's real people, but it's it's the vibe. It's just like that vibe of taking real people situations and making them like you said a spectacle for entertainment without like any of the other context of their life and it's just like a little bit squicky especially with natalia grace it's it's like this this is a child yeah and like the the things that the things that are alleged to have happened with her is just like it's 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 so 
it's so gross it's so gross it's yeah, so frustrating it's so, it's so horrible it's up. harrowing in some spots and the fact that that is being tied to something that feels very <sighs> creepily produced just it, it it icks me out and so i i wanted to stop watching it but i also wanted to know kind of what was going on and so the what her story what is happening to her her side of the perspective is so enthralling and yet so that's what's making me get through it but at the same time it just feels gross manipulative yeah exactly and it's constantly questioning like her age and if she's telling the truth and it's like all right this is just like kind of ableist <laughs> like we gotta yeah. stop like it's just yeah. like very ableist and also she's like not she's ukrainian i know that she grew up here but like you know, there's probably a little bit of a communication barrier, especially if her fucking family, like, didn't take care of her. I haven't watched the show, so I'm sorry if I'm speaking out of turn about her ability well, to communicate. And, I don't know if see, that's true. The, the sadness, the sadness starts immediately because her mom was kind of, there's like a brief snippet with her mom in, I think, the second season where they, they managed to contact her right before, or it was either right before or right during the, the Russian invasion and so, like, this is all happening almost in real time, which gives it also kind of an, an icky feel to it. But there, she was kind of, from her perspective, told to kind of, that almost forced to give up her daughter uh, because they said that she, that the surgeries that would have to be done to, to fix her bones and her legs would cost thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars. And they sort of, almost on the day that she was given birth took the kid away from her and put her in an orphanage from her mom's perspective in a way. And so like her oh, whole yeah. life has been hellish from the very beginning, being in the orphanage, then coming here and then getting into this other family. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's, I don't know how, I don't know if I recommend watching it. I, but I do think there's, it there it's, there's an important story here at the same time. So I just do with that as you, as you will listeners, it's on max the first two seasons, but that's, the curious case of yeah. Natalia Grace. Which it also yeah, that's... grosses me out that it's like a rhyme for the title. It's like that it's like Gypsy Rose Blanchard is out of prison now and everyone wants to be obsessed with her too, and it's like all the same. Like all these it's just like I don't know. Something about our culture is just very icky right now with uh-huh. all of that. Yeah. Let's pick up the mood of it. I want to hear about this wholesome and melancholy anime. So I love this anime so much. It's it's brand new. I am so excited to be talking about it because it is one of my favorite animes in a long time. I was time. like, wait, is it is it the Delicious Dungeon or something? Is that... No, it is not Delicious in Dungeon. I've only seen one episode of that, and I have to watch more. But this is Freerin. Uh, hold on, Freerin Beyond Journey's End, um, which is currently airing on Crunchyroll. It's we're still in the first season, and. It is essentially what takes place after a massive, like, adventure. Basically, like, okay, when the adventurers come back from slaying the massive enemy, like, what are their lives like after that? Like, what does it mean to live after that kind of thing? With the main focus being Freerin, an elf who basically learns... She's essentially immortal, but then her human companions are not. So it's a lot of her seeing her friend, like her really close companions age and die. And then kind of learning about the, like learning about these human concepts of like mortality and caring about each other. And then she kind of, she inherits a, 
apprentice, a young girl named Fern, who is also, so, she's an el- so Fern is an elf mage, and she trains Fern to be a mage as well. She's a human mage. She's very good. And it is essentially following their lives as just like being countryside mages um, as their party grows. And it's not your typical anime where it's like they're fantasy fighting all the time, like crazy battles. It's more, it's much more introspective. And like each episode is like, it's, there's an overarching story, but each episode it's like its own contained adventure inside of that bigger story arc. So like if they have an enemy they're fighting, it's only one episode. It's not this like long saga. It's like, and it's more about, instead of it being about like the epicness of the battle, it's about like, the Freren's memories or about that like accessing memory or kind of learning more about humanity and compassion um because she is the most neurodivergent character female character I've ever seen on screen I'm obsessed with her she is like confirmed asexual character and also like the way she acts is incredibly like autistic coded and there's been memes online of like neurodivergent girl winter because she is very much like i do not understand why you do these things like what do you mean and it's just like very it's very much like that kind of representation and okay. i really enjoy it it's really silly it's also quite melancholy but it's also just very sweet and if you've ever if anyone's ever watched mushishi um which is one of my all-time favorite animes ever it's a similar vibe of being like following these. It's more about the characters than the fights. It's more, you care about them and how they're going through the world and like learning about the world rather than how they fight kind of thing. So it's a much more kind of introspective show that has made me cry on several occasions. And it's like my new favorite thing I'm watching right now. One of my new favorite things I'm watching right now. That sounds really good. It's really good. And it's like, it's, it's really good, beautiful animated fantasy. But again, it's like not about like big, crazy battles, but just about like being a person and learning about the world and humanity. It's, it's just very sweet. And you don't usually get to see kind of a, like a weird female character like this. And right. this is why I love that. It's weird. I feel like it's weirdo. As a main character a weirdo girl. too. Yeah. Both of the female characters are like weird, like weird neurodivergent girls who are really, really talented and also just kind of weird. And it's just chef's kiss, 10 out of 10 obsessed with it. It is on Crunchyroll. Um, It's still premiering. They have up to episode, I think 14 or 15 dubbed. I'm watching the dub. The voice acting is really good. The English voice acting. So I highly recommend. I love the voice actor for Freerin. So yeah. Highly, highly recommend. I, I always I always say this when I recommend anime on here because I'm like, if you don't like anime, I promise you'll like it. It's because a lot of anime people will like if they like this is much more it's very it's anime, but it's not as like fighting anime. It's very like sweet fantasy. So highly recommend. Yeah, I pulled it up on IMDb and the and the trailer was uh was playing and I really like the an- the animation style. It's Oh, and this plot sounds right up my alley, so I might have to give this one a, a go. You said it's on Crunchyroll? Yeah, and it's like, there's all these like flashbacks to when they were doing the original quest to kill the demon the demon king, and it's like, well, flashback. Like, you learn about her quest to kill the demon king through flashbacks with her companions when they were younger, and you can like see how her, you get to oh. see her memories, and how her memories inform her present, and it's just like... 
I don't know. It's just really sweet. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna have to bite the bullet and sign up for Crunchyroll. I've been, I've been like inching in that direction to the point that like I my for some reason my my account was like locked down and I had to like unlock it through them. And so like I'm moving in this direction and this might be the tipping point for me. You I'm gonna have to give that one a shot. Yes. Hell yeah. Yes, highly highly recommend that one for everybody. But now, uh, I think it's probably uh pretty different here. Old school blockbuster filmmaking at its finest. <laughs> so I finally and this is gonna be quick, but I finally watched the new Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. Oh. Uh which which played this this summer. And oh my god, Mary Beth, this reminded me what I missed from Blockbuster movies. This movie okay. is action packed physical stunts practical effects with some cg i'm assuming but like still it 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 does not look fake the all of the the shots that probably are enhanced through cg do not look like the typical blockbuster we get today and there's car chases there's explosions there's like fantastic chases it's just this movie is what i want from blockbuster filmmaking today that we are sorely lacking and it reminded me why blockbuster movies used to get my button seat this is it's long it's two hours and 43 minutes it is a long movie oh god but it did not feel long i was like riveted from the very beginning it is just like the pacing is really good the story is really interesting it's about this rogue ai that was on the sub that in the opening scene ends up like going rogue and causing the the submarine to attack itself basically and crash at the in in the in the ocean and there's a MacGuffin. There's two. There's two. There's a set of, of two keys that, when put together, turns into a real key that will unlock the AI. A little, a little silly MacGuffin-y. but this AI is still propagating across the world, and so it is able to sort of infiltrate different different technologies and also manipulate technologies. So that if people are using like glasses that add like overlays and stuff, it can change what you're seeing. And so really there is like a race of time against human people that are trying to unlock this for nefarious reasons, the U S government, which is also trying to use it for nefarious reasons. And then also Tom Cruise's little IMF buddies who are trying to get this key and keep it out of everyone's evil hands. And so like, it is, it is thrilling. It is, it has some fantastic actresses in it. Um, Haley Atwell, who was um, in the Marvel movies, Peggy Peggy Carter, is that what her character's name was? Oh, yeah, like the... yeah, 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 yeah. She plays this, like, thief that ends up getting pulled into this whole thing on, a, on, on accident, kind of. And we have Rebecca Ferguson returning. We have Vanessa Kirby, who um, I saw recently in Napoleon. Did not care for Napoleon. But she's in this. We have Palm... Clementief, who was um, Mantis in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Oh, okay. She's in this as like um, a badass assassin. It's just like there are some fantastic characters in this and it's funny. It's action packed. It's paced incredibly well for being a two hour and 43 minute movie. I am. I, I love this movie. I love this movie so much. Okay. I, I mean, like, they're they're fun. I haven't seen all of them. This is, like, the first one I've seen in, like, a long time because I, I missed. Okay. I think I've seen the first four 
or three and then there was like a couple ones that i missed and you don't really need to know like there's a couple characters that have continued on but you don't really need to know anything there's pretty self-contained stories in my opinion there's a little bit of okay. like things that you might miss like small easter eggs but in terms okay. of like spectacle and in terms of seeing that this kind of filmmaking can still happen i loved it it was okay. a breath of fresh air for me I'm excited. I, I do need to watch the Mission Impossible movies, so I am excited. This makes me this puts a fire under my ass to start my journey. You know, and they're they're wild. Like the first one is done by Brian De Palma. The second yeah, one is a that's John what's Woo wild film. to me. J.J. <laughs> Abrams did the the third one. Like it's like they what I and I think that's what I appreciate about them is that each one feels very different because they have a different um, director that is you know, spearheading the, the story. And so they each play to their strength. Like the John Woo one is very silly in terms of like over the top action stuff. And the, the Brian De Palma one is very twisty and, and old school stylistic filmmaking, um, cinematography and whatnot. So like, I think it's a fun series that is the, each episode feels like a kind of different kind of storytelling in a way. All right. It's worth it. It's worth a shot to watch, I think. And this one is great. Hell yeah. All right. Weird vibes, the movie. I'll make this one quick, too. But um, uh, I watched a little movie that I was actually quite surprised by uh, called The Seating, which I believe you actually mm. might have seen. I have seen it, yeah. Have you talked about it on the show? I don't think you have. I did. Have I, did pre- I did briefly talk you about did? it. You did? Okay, I couldn't remember if you had or not. Because um, when did you see it? Tribeca? I think so. It was <laughs> It was sometime last year. Yeah. Um, so you liked it? I just want to make sure I did it. Yes. So I really, really liked it. Um, it's very much a vibes forward movie. This is directed by Barnaby Clay. This is his first movie. And it basically, a guy fall essentially falls into a pit and there's a woman that lives at the bottom of the pit in a, in a little house played by Caitlin, Caitlin Scheel, who was in She Dies Tomorrow, an iconic yep. film forever. And he is trying to get out of the pit and there are weird boys at the top of the pit who yell at him and he doesn't understand what's going on. And neither do you for most of the movie. But it's like, oh, if you buy into the vibe, especially of just like, I don't know where this is going, but it's probably somewhere weird. Uh, yes, you are taken to a very weird place. And I am obsessed with that weird place that it goes to. It becomes a very fascinating look at gender dynamics. And I was very into it. I don't want to say, I don't want to talk about it too much with it. Let's like spoil because it's kind of like a movie you have to experience the ride uh, but it's very dream logic-y, very like, I don't get it. And then it ends and you're like, oh my God, I want to watch that again kind of situation for me personally. It is coming out on January 26th to digital and VOD. And it's definitely a weird one, but I think that this is one that could really get on people's radars if you like weird shit. Like if you liked The Outwaters, I feel like you would kind of vibe with the seating not that they're like not that they're that similar in like story and everything right. but it's like that kind of weird deserty nightmare logic and things get kind of fucked um there's like similar kind of energy going on there so i just wanted to throw that out there for everybody because uh it's pretty impressive for what it for like for it and i feel like it could easily get buried and i don't i don't want it to get buried yeah i i remember being kind of it's it's been a minute but i do remember being a little mixed on it but yeah i think yeah. vibe movie is definitely is definitely a good descriptor for it like it's all vibes you're not really going to get much explanation but if you're willing to just like ride the vibe yeah 10 out of 10 yeah and it was tribeca i just pulled it up <laughs> yeah. yeah 
goodness. Yeah, it's cool. It's very assured. It's very, I think, confident in what it's doing, and I really applaud that. Um, it's not going to be successful for everyone, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I do think it might be one of those movies that would benefit not seeing, like, in a huge, you know, festival, like, move back to back to back. Oh, yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, that's true. It's definitely a, a movie, if you have festival brain, right, you're going to be like, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's the seating. Recommend, if you like vibes yeah. forward. Speaking of vibes, but, like, really putrid ones. <laughs> yes. Uh... What movie did I make you watch this week? <laughs> so you uh, made me watch... Uh, I say made, but you made me watch a movie that opens with a child being shot in the head. And I was like, yep, this is a Brian Bertito movie. (laughs) I watched this in my hotel room the first night. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. That I was that was on my work trip. First night, I'm like, I don't know how much time I'm going to have in the evenings to watch things. So I'm going to watch this now so I can be prepared for little cuts. And I'm like, yep, this is a Brian Bertino movie. The moment a little kid gets shot, he's saying, fuck them kids in the opening sequence of this movie. But we watched <laughs> Mockingbird, uh, Brian Bertino's uh, foray into uh, found footage films about... A variety of people that are given a video. And I think, did you talk about this in the podcast before, briefly? I did. I did. Because I found this during the pandemic. Yeah, it was a couple years ago. Yeah, I thought so. Man. Um, But it's about a a husband, wife, and kids who get a videotape. Um, A young college student woman who is given a videotape. And then some man that's that's, uh, living with his mom who is given a videotape and is given these weird tasks to paint himself as a clown and go do increasingly more uncomfortable things as the movie goes on. And they're told to keep filming. And then it turns into sort of like a stranger's ask home invasion at at points for each of these different, for each of the, the, the family and the young college student. And I sat there going, how is this all going to come together? And that is what like really intrigued me was how, all of these these storylines were going to fit together. And so that's my initial impression of of this movie. I love this movie. I know everyone. Letterboxd fucking hates this movie. Oh, do they? Yes. And I don't get it. I think I disagree. <laughs> I like this movie quite a bit. Obviously, I've talked I've talked about it before. I think it's Brian Bertino nihilism in found footage form. And I love that. Like the fact that it opens, like opens with every, in the dark and it's not until they open the box and get the camera out. Like that's just, I love it. And I, I would never, I wouldn't claim that it necessarily does anything like brand new with the format, but I think it uses the format really smart, like really well. I think it does a lot, like it knows how to use the found footage format to frame really good shots that will make you like, what the hell is going on? The use of lightning is really smart and and revealing (laughs) things and revealing. And I think it's got that. I've written about this movie before in that it's one of these, what's another one of his movies that is like, the inevitability of being a randomly chosen kind of person and being in the wrong place at the wrong fucking time and putting your name in the wrong goddamn waiver form, like signing the wrong thing 
and you you just ended up as part of this weird fucking scheme and like sorry you're stuck like there's nothing you can do about it and i think he does it well it's blumhouse this is a blumhouse movie too yeah um, i was surprised when that when that showed up it's blumhouse and i have a feeling and maybe it'll be me that starts it it's like i think that this movie should have a re- reappraisal for like how people talk about it because I do think it's very smart. I don't think it's as dumb as some people want to say. I think it came out at a bad time. I think the problem with this film is that it was his follow up to The Strangers, and it yeah. feels it feels a little beat. Like some of it reminds me, like oh, this feels very Strangers slash it's found footage. And so there's, I think there are moments of that that like if you were to go from The Strangers to this, you might see this as sort of an inferior movie yeah just because true. we are coming from i mean the strangers is an all-time classic in my opinion it is yes. a, a oh. classic invade home invasion movie and this has a lot of similar feels to it and i do think that because it was his follow-up to it there is it, it made me feel a little bit like blumhouse is like i we want to have another low budget version of the strangers and so i feel like that there might be some of that at play but i do i agree with you i think that with years separation it's definitely due for reappraisal. This movie gave me nightmares when I first saw it. Like I, I haven't, I have a thing where like, I don't know what the fuck it means, but like I have reoccurring dreams and reoccurring places that appear in my dreams. And one of the reoccurring places is the guest house from this movie is like a reoccurring place in my dreams. I don't get it. I don't know why, but like this movie has like weirdly imprinted in my brain for reasons I don't fully get. So like, you know, once again, it's my personal attachment to it. But I think because I watched this in the pandemic, like when I was really getting into found footage and I was like really just like hyper-focused on that, especially being stuck in the house all day, I think Mm -hmm. like I just really imprinted on it and like what it's doing and what it's saying and the way it ends. And like, I hate the clown character, but I love the way he functions (laughs) as this like kind of commentary on like what how certain people are willing to do anything. Like he's got these ranges of reactions and I think it's smart to have this like shitty dude and like you kind of feel bad for him and you're kind of like, what is his end goal? And then you realize the tragedy of it all at the end when you're just like, oh my God. Like it's all just, I just think Brian Bertino is really smart and like plots things in a really smart way in terms of like when it all comes together, it's like you guys were fucked from the beginning and I just love that about his work and i think like you said i think watching it like after the strangers it's like oh buddy but it's like actually it's really smart he just like it's so hard to follow the fucking strangers it really is like it yeah. just is <laughs> but, but i still think it's like really scary shit with this movie oh. especially with found footage like i still got scared watching it this time and i see i hadn't seen it in a couple of years but i was like this movie is scary <laughs> i think it's scary yeah, like normally, you know, when I'm at home, I will watch everything on my big screen TV. And this, I had my iPad and I was watching it off my iPad and I had it like close to my face and I was sitting there and the lightning. It's so funny that you brought up because I literally wrote the use of lightning to illuminate pitch black is well, chef's kiss because I love I love moments like that. Um, I, and it reminded me of like Saw, the original Saw where um, yes! the guy is walking yes! through and he's using his camera to like illuminate and you're just waiting or towards the end of, of Host, even, where, where she's, like, also using a very similar kind of thing to try to illuminate what's in front of in front of her. That is, that is like, a kink for me. Those types of things I love. And, and, and listeners, if you, 
didn't want if you're not watching me that just flicked your tongue and it made me laugh um but i love i love that i love that and here it is there are some fantastic uses of that um there's also some really kind of stranger-esque moments of like there's the the young college woman she gets in the car and she's leaning over the steering wheel to try to start it and she leans back and there's someone standing out of her view briefly and then she leans back and he's gone i'm like oh that kind of stuff the stuff where you have to like pay attention to see it and there's no attention brought to it. And you're almost like, wait, was that a person? Oh shit. Now it's gone. It's just like that. That is like, that is catnip to me. So oh, it's my favorite. I did have a question. What do you, what do you think of the red, white, and blue coloring throughout? I love it. I love it. It is American nihilism at its finest homies. It is fuck America because we've got the domestic fan. We've got, Oh, they got me on my goddamn high horse now. We've got, we like, go. the, the beautiful family, like, the domestic, like, mother. And I love this couple, by the way, because I love a good, like, found footage couple that don't actually actively hate each other. Mm. And in 2014, that's kind of hard to find. But we've got, like, the ideal couple in the house. But then we also have, Two like, kids. the young woman who is, like, going out on her own. And then there's... Who lives alone. Like, that's very dangerous. Then there's, like, the gross guy. And so there's these really is interesting... kind of an like, insult, do you think? Yeah, I, I have that vibe of, like, before we had the kind of the incel, like, it's like uh-huh. the neckbeard. I feel like it's like the language you would use in 2014 is, like, the vernacular we would use. But it's like he's grabbing all of these disparate... You know he has, owns a fedora. Oh, yeah. He's, like, grabbing these, like, disparate kind of, like, demographics of America and putting them all through the same hell. Oh, collision like, course. with no real reason other than, like, random. And, like, they're all different people... But they fall into archetypes, too, because, you know, they call them the family, the woman, mm-hmm. the clown. So you have, like, these archetypes are playing that he's playing with. But I think the red, white, and blue is very much like a middle finger to America and, like, expectations of safety. I That's think. why I had to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I... <laughs> Here, let me help you up onto that horse. <laughs> I know. I was like... Terry knows what he's doing by saying, hey, Mary Beth, what do you think about the red, white, and blue colors? And it's like, well, I'm glad you asked, Terry. Let me tell you about what's something called 9-11. <laughs> Have you ever heard of it? Did you forget? <laughs> I also love the use of classical music. Because um, there's like a lot of classical music throughout. We have Moonlight, Moon, excuse me, Moonlight Sonata. We have a bunch of other um, ones that are very recognizable, even if you might not know the names. It's just... There's a lot going on here that I thought was really interesting. There's so much stuff going on. It's so smart. It's creepy. It's got a weird ending. It's got a fucked up ending. They use red balloons a lot. Yeah, I just, I think this is a found footage movie that more people should like either rewatch or like watch for the first time. If you like Brian Bertino, you will like this movie. Like, I am not, by no means is it, like, better than The Strangers. And I'm not even sure it's better than The Dark and the Wicked. But it's I, very, I it's still, so personally, but... it's still really good. Like, yeah. just because it's not his best, it's better, it's, it's his, it's his third movie in my head. Because The Monster is personally not, but there, again, I like all of his movies. So it's one of these things where it's like, it's not like I'm saying any of them are bad. Right. But Mockingbird is really good. Brian Bertino doing found footage is Mary Beth McAndrews catnip. There we go. So oh, I'm glad you liked it. I was so I was yeah. watching it and I was reading letterbox stuff and I'm like, oh no. I hope Terry liked it. But I was watching it and I'm like, I don't understand how people thought this was that bad. But again, I know when you, the timing makes a lot of sense. If people are what yeah. 
Because I watched, I have, I was so far removed from like having seen The Strangers for the first time and everything. Right. But I am starting here, the bandwagon to reappraise my, I own Mockingbird. I have it somewhere on Blu-ray. Wait, this is the 10 year anniversary this year. All right. You're a Mockingbird, (laughs) baby. It is time for it to be reappraised because it is literally the 10 year anniversary this year. 10 years. It's so good. Anyway, watch it, guys. I promise you. You won't be disappointed. So yeah, that about does it for this week. But where are we continuing on our found footage journey? Okay, we are time continuing with the sort of post 9-11 vibes. We are going with Cloverfield. Seminal found footage disaster film. Hell yes. I haven't seen it in a very long time. Very long time. I actually just got... Oh, it's not in here. I got a really cool book that's just about like Cloverfield and horror. So maybe I'll do some reading of that before we talk about it too. Yeah, I'm excited. I am too. I'm really excited to rewatch it because I, I was telling Mary Beth offline that I have this, you know, the, the 4K Blu-ray of it and I'm very excited. I haven't watched it. So I'm very excited to finally have a reason other than just pure enjoyment to like crack it open. But that's what we're going to talk about for Little Cuts. What about um, our episode on Monday, Mary Beth? So Monday, uh, to celebrate our Patreon reopening, we are going to be sharing a preview of what you can expect for Fresh Wounds subscribers with our special Fresh, Fresh Wounds episode about Terrified. We've all been talking about Demi and Rugna and when evil lurks, so might as well listen to why Terrified scared us so much. Um, so yeah, get a little taste for our Patreon, and then maybe, hopefully, you can become a Patreon subscriber, which we would love, because we have some stuff coming up, and we would love to get to start raising some more funds through our Patreon. And, you know, it's it's a movie that comes up all the time on the podcast, so it only felt natural to, like, try to open it up a bit. Plus, with travel and everything, um, a little behind. <laughs> Truthfully. Yeah, for real. Um, but listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Uh, did you watch anything that we watched this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for things for us to cover? You can send us an email by... What? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter or at social media. On Twitter, I am at mbmcandrews and on Instagram, I am at mb.mcandrews. And I'm a gaily dreadful everywhere. And of course, follow the podcast on social media. We are at Scarred Podcast on Blue Sky and Twitter and at Scarred for Life Podcast on Instagram. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us... Um please sign up through our Patreon. We had just released um, our new episode on Trouble Every Day. We're doing sort of the um, French New Extremity. So we've done ones on High Tension, Inside, Frontiers, um, Fat Girl, Trouble Every Day. So there's come join us on our journey. Please. Um, thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly... Stay creepy. And until next time.